Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself, and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. My name is Sloan Fremont, and I'm your host. This week, my guest is Daniel Hodge from ThriveLot. And ThriveLot is a really interesting concept. They, It's a platform that connects you with service providers to build edible landscapes, which I think is so cool. And our topic this week is we're talking about a free-range childhood autodidactism, entrepreneurship, and how all of that leads to empowerment. So I really hope you enjoy this interview with Daniel. I'm going to just briefly read some, some highlights from Daniel's um, bio. You can read the full, full bio in the show notes. But Daniel grew up homeschooled as, with a free-range childhood. And I, have, <laughs> I love that description, free-range <laughs> childhood. Um, he was obsessed with why humans think the way they do and the cultural, socioeconomic and political um, impacts that really underpin our thinking. And he's got a master's in architecture from the University of Tennessee, um, wasn't really interested in professional titles, but through architecture, he observed the interconnectedness between creative expression of humanity. Daniel's been to Rome. He did his master's thesis in the trajectory of architecture, especially its limitations, um, moved into software development, designed a game with his brother, an iOS app called Light Traveler. And fast forward to now, Daniel has designed and built over 30 websites and apps, along with a half a dozen architectural installations and projects, including a 30,000 square foot co-working facility in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. He's founded three businesses and helped friends and clients catalyze another 10, which is amazing. <laughs> so Daniel, I want to welcome you to the show this week. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I want to start off today. We'll get into everything because there's a lot to talk about, but I want to start off with a little icebreaker fun question just so everybody can get to know you. If there was one song that you would describe as the theme song to your life, what would that song be and why? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. Theme song. I don't know. What's one of the songs? It's like, um, hmm, that's a tough one. <laughs> you hit on a music question, which is just like, uh, I, know, I would have to... music always like, um, I've talked about over the years on the show that music always helped me put into words, feelings that I couldn't quite express. Yes. And when I was thinking about this before asking you this question, I was like, well, what would my theme song be? Cause it's changed over the years. And I think, mm -hmm. Now mine would be um, by Lando by Enrique Iglesias. Cause I love dancing. I love how dancing makes me feel. I also love um, like almost like as cheesy as it sounds kind of like dancing through life. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. picking up and getting yeah. up and going, even when things aren't exactly working, like we, we planned. Um, so I think that would be my, my theme song. <laughs> to Gosh, I'm, yeah. I, I... I think that's a great, well, the, the dancing kind of the ballet, I mean, part of that is like, gosh, where do, how do I describe or how do I even get to like, cause I have music that I, that like, I guess moves me, you know, there's yeah. like music, I guess, is in so many ways, like you feel like kind of this, the spirit and things like when you play music with other people, you know, you are really kind of just learning to get on the same wavelength and kind of just like kind of ride it together. You don't know, like, yeah. And, kind of give it away like you know the solos and stuff you just like all right now you take it and uh, yeah 
I'm trying to, you know, there's there are a lot of jazz songs uh, that I really like um, that are just kind of fun and kind of just, you know, all over the place, which is, <laughs> which is how I guess I might describe, you know, it is, it is kind of dancing through life, but um, which, which would I go with autumn? Let's see. Autumn breeze would probably be uh, what I would go with. <laughs> I know okay. that was a, a long way of getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, who's that by? Oh gosh. Let's see. Who's it, who is it originally by? Um, that is by one second. I'll just grab this real quick. Who is it original? Hmm. I'm going to have to go deep back into okay. that was in the 1950s. I think when oh, that okay. one first came out, I want to say it was like uh George. Hmm. It'll come to me. <laughs> okay. I have not heard of that one. So I was just curious. So, yeah. um, it's okay. So let's start out today talking about, um, talking about our title. So what mm-hmm. is autodidactism and can you use it in a sentence, please? <laughs> Admittedly, Absolutely. I had to look this word up. I didn't know. I'd never heard this word before. And now I, I keep seeing it. I see it all over the place. It's so funny. It's, you know, it, it was, I feel like it was the same thing for me because it wasn't until I'd already started to realize, I guess, what it was or like what it means, you know? So for me, uh, and I guess the standard definition would be self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like, that's only a half truth, you know, because it's, yeah. I think it's the, you know, it's the inspiration that you get to pursue things that you're curious in that, uh, really, um, allows you to develop an autodidactic sense, I guess, yeah. and to have that courage and confidence that you can pursue things. So maybe, uh, did I, I guess I use it in the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Well, and that's, you know, that, that's something that is, that I've done actually in my life with my career. Um, I work in, I've worked for 12 years now in consulting, IT consulting primarily. Mm-hmm. I do not have an IT degree. I've never done any sort of IT training. My actual, my undergraduate degree is in um, agriculture, which couldn't probably awesome. be farther from IT. But what I did do was years ago, I was in a period where I was laid off. I was unemployed, had a lot of free time. And you can only look for a job so often, you know, when you're unemployed or decide what's going to be next. And so I started, um, started a website. I started learning how to build the website because I didn't have a job. So I couldn't pay somebody to do it. So I wanted to learn it. It's been a lot of time. You know, if I do this, then this happens, right? If I do this, then that. Anyway, long story short, it led me to a career in IT consulting. And um, it's, it's amazing what following your interest will lead you to. I think a lot of times we get, we feel like, um, because I've had friends that have said this, like, oh, I don't have a degree, so I'm not smart enough, or I'm not, you know, I, I can't do that because I didn't go to school for it. Well, so what? You know, who cares, yeah. right? We both have examples and um, about learning things that weren't necessarily the formal way, but that doesn't mean it's wrong or that you can't, you know, excel from doing it that way. And I think that's mm-hmm. so important to remind people of and even remember ourselves, because sometimes even I forget it. Like, I'm like, oh, but I don't have to go get some, I can just figure this out on my own. Absolutely. That kind of courage, that kind of, I I guess it's a, it's a change in process too, you know, where I feel so much of, you know, schooling is, you know, you're learning things, you know, it's the, the answers are here, you know, the, the, where you can learn stuff is here, you know, but then it's like kind of this breakout where, you know, one of the most important skills I feel like I ever learned was honestly just how to treat, how to deal with Google you know, how to use the right keywords and use the right kind of combinations of things to get what I wanted out of it, yeah. you know, instead of just uh, a long list of, you know, how to get the signal and the noise, basically like the search yeah. to find like, you know, what's, uh, this is good information or, you know, this is what I was looking for. That was, I think a huge 
uh, step just in one little tool, you know, tools, not rules, I guess, from a principal standpoint, you know, it's like what we can, how we can enable, you know, ourselves to learn or to, um, you know, to, I guess, uh, improve uh, our efficiency and things like, you know, time management is pain management in so many ways. And I can't tell you how many times I've learned that just in the pursuit of things, because it's like, you get going really fast, you hit a wall, you know, and then you're just like, wow, you know, and so much of that though, I feel is also just, again, you know, jumping into being homeschooled. Like, I think the, the fact that you have somebody that believes in you, that, you know, is, you know, even when, you know, you don't understand is willing to actually take the time and like point you in the right direction. My, uh, my dad used to do this thing and it always frustrated me when I was little and, and we'd be talking about something. I would say, I don't know. And he'd say, I don't know is an acceptable answer, uh, which it is. And it really is. Right. But what he was, I think helping me to, you know, he was inspiring that curiosity. It's like, you're curious in this, right. But you, and you don't know about it, but, you know, seek out the answers and, you know, seek to be open to um, also the fact that you don't know, take that as the first step and then say, all right, what else do I don't, do I not know? Right. And also trust that you can find the answers. You know, I think that's one thing growing up, you know, we think about the indoctrination centers that most of us were sent to, right? We were taught to do a certain thing, a certain way, stay in the line. If you get out of the line, you're the bad kid, you're the disruptive kid, you know, whatever it is. And that follows us into adulthood, right? We be a good employee, sit at your desk, be quiet, keep your head down, say yes, what they tell you to do, you know, and a lot of people are finding now that that's not working out so well, right? Because of various things happening in the world. And so a lot of us, I think, and this is, you know, myself included, I went to an indoctrination center as a child, but the, 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 you know, finding that confidence to believe that, okay, I don't know the answer, but that doesn't mean I can't know the answer or I don't have the ability to find the answer. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've been saying to myself recently is, um, as a kind of a reminder or a mantra that I know the truth and what that means to me when I say that is it's a reminder of, cause I can feel in my body when I have questions about things, like if I'm struggling with something or if I feel anxiety or fear about something, it's often because I'm trying to go outside of myself to find the answers, right? I'm seeking the answers here and there. And with that comes anxiety because then it's like, will I find the answer? Will I get the answer? Well, this, is this the right answer? Right. And when I ask myself or tell, remind myself, I know the truth What that, what I'm saying to myself in that is I know I know that I trust myself enough that I'm going to get there. I don't have to worry. I don't have to seek. I don't have to be filled with anxiety about always about being wrong or not having the answer. And I think what you're saying with your dad asking you that or reminding you that, you know, when you say you don't know it, it, it's, uh, it's building confidence at a young age to be able to be secure enough with yourself to, um, to not have to have even always have the answer, right. And still be able to move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the things that you're after, the, the things that you're interested in, you know, where, where I feel that, you know, it's like, we have all these, it's like a huge tree, right. Of all these different ways our lives could end up. Right. And it's, yeah. it, we're kind of channeled and pushed along. I remember one kind of really funny thing that I realized when I got to uh, high school, which is the first time I went into public school was like the power or the weight of like saying, Oh, well, I'm going to be a doctor. You know, and it's like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's going to be a doctor, you know? And it's like, well, you know, this is a 15 year old child. Right. You know, that's, uh, and, but that kind of like 
you know, influence though, right? Now you're pushing somebody in this direction because, you know, that's, oh, okay, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do here. Maybe that's like who I am. But then at the same time, you're also getting, you know, locked in a bit, you know, your box is starting to shrink in. And then that's like, okay, maybe this is what I'm good at. And then you are unfortunately kind of swerved away from maybe even what you uh, really wanted to go for. And then it's not 15, 20 years later until you're able to come back. And, right. And, you know, we, at who knows at age 15 or 12 or 18, you know, what they want to be. And we, w- what I found along the way too, is that it, the way we're taught also is that changing your mind is somehow wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like if you'd make a decision that, okay, you have to, that's it for you, for your life. Right. And, and no, we're all free to, to change and make different decisions and explore different things and try different things. And one of the things when I first started consulting years ago that I still to this day find some of the best advice was get, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because there's a lot of discomfort in the world. And if you can navigate still through the discomfort without letting that paralyze you or keep you in that box or keep you feeling like, I don't know, so I can't move forward. That, that to me has been a, like one of the best pieces of advice that I still remind myself of that I can still move forward in the, in when I don't know, in the unknown. Mm. Speaking of mantras, one important mantra for me in that regard is growth only happens in discomfort. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where that originates at all, but it's something that's really stuck with me and kind of just, you know, pops up in my head every now and then it's like, okay, what you feel right now is discomfort. The reason that you feel that is because you're going through a transformation because you're, opening up to something that you weren't really, you know, but that's that in and of itself is, I feel like takes repetition, you know, to, to walk into a room, into a a meeting or, you know, any kind of situation and trust yourself, you know, that, uh, well, for one that you, you know, that you should be here, you know, because I think for so many people I've struggled with like imposter syndrome as well. It's like, why am I here? How did I get here? You know, it's like, uh, I'm (laughs) not to be here. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, but it's like, if we can, I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, operating with humility, but at the same time, like having, you know, that self-confidence, like having that, you know, you can step out into this stage or, you know, wherever it may be and perform, you know, because you put in the time and, you know, why shouldn't you be here? I guess it's, it's, who are you not? Why wouldn't you be here? And, you know, when you're talking about going through those experiences of, I'm growing or I feel discomfort because this is a new experience and I'm changing that the emotions or the, almost like the, uh, the chain reactions of feelings that happen during that are so fast that you can automatically go to the discomfort. I can't do it. Discomfort, stop discomfort, bad. Right. But if you take a minute to think, okay, here's what's happening. This is okay. I'm safe. I can do this. I can have this experience. That's, um, that is how I navigated so much change. When I was changing my life, I moved to Nashville. I quit my job, you know, all this different stuff. And I completely changed my life in a short amount of time. I had to keep reminding myself of that. Otherwise that would have paralyzed me and kept me stuck and small and kept me in that place that I said, I didn't want to be in anymore. Absolutely. Wow. (laughs) So let's talk about your, um, your free range childhood again, I love that term, but you're, 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 you're self-taught your autodidactism and how that style of learning influenced your choices, how that, um, you know, being again, not growing up in an, in an 
indoctrination center, you got to choose, it sounds like what you were learning, whether, whether the rest of us, most of us were, this is what you're going to learn. How do you think that influenced you and how did that shape who you are today? Mm. So much of that is, I guess, in the setup and I credit fully, uh, both my parents, uh, especially my mom, uh, for really following, she really created a curriculum that was very much in line with, you know, traditional schooling and, um, but, you know, allowed us to pursue at the pace and kind of, you know, if it was like, there's a, something on a science module, let's say, you know, we could just go and do all that to the end in like a week if we wanted to, right. If that's just like what we became consumed with dinosaurs. Right. And so it's like, all of a sudden we're out in the woods, you know, with a little paintbrush and something, you know, just excavating things. And so I think same thing for just the speed and the rate at which we're able to go through things. So it's like, you know, our goal was to get up as early as we could so that we could be done by like nine or 10 and then have the rest of the day to be outside and like make things and do things. And, you know, it just like, it, it didn't become very apparent to me for a long time, like just a very different experience and how fortunate I feel that I was in that regard of like not having to wait until the bell, you know, to then have to ride the bus and then have to, you know, it's like, it's, it's, uh, you know, then you have like how many hours of daylight left. Right. And it's rinse and repeat. Um, and became keenly aware of that. And just like, that was a huge, I guess, awakening moment for me and like the experience of, of all of us and like, you know, good grief. How do we, what do we do? (laughs) You know, we have to do something. What do we do? (laughs) Right. And so how do you think that for the listeners, those obviously are adults now, and we, um, we may not have grown up that way, but I, I, I do think we still have options to set our life up in ways that we can benefit from, you know, let's take working from home as an example, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people went to that last year. I worked from home for multiple years now. And that was one before I worked from home, that was one of my goals. Like that, I wanted to design my life in a way that gave me that flexibility, that freedom. I didn't want to have to commute anymore. I didn't want to have to get up and get ready and do the whole production, you know, of putting, you know, doing all that. It, to me, it was a waste of time. You think about that. Like there was two or three hours in the day, maybe four, where I was, preparing for going into an office, let's say, right. Wasted time. Right. And Mm. when you're in the car, you're commuting. Yes. You can listen to things and yes, you can do that kind of stuff. And and I did all that, but at the end of the day, I didn't want to do that anymore. I, I, I wanted to design my life in a different way. And I did. And I think that now after, you know, what we experienced in 2020, people are more, more open to that there. We've seen it. Some people were forced into it, but maybe they didn't like it, but then maybe grew to love it or maybe still hated it or whatever. But I do think there's still that element of like, you're talking about designing your days as a child. We still have options to design our days as adults. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, what's your. Gosh, uh, I think it's inherent in all of this. There was a great, um, gosh, there's a great, uh, it's called the Royal Society of the Arts in London. And uh, Ian McGilchrist is a psychiatrist. Uh, it's like a knight, I guess, in England now. And he gave this really incredible TED Talk that had to do with like, you know, the fact that a five-year-old child, you know, across the board, you know, they're basically scoring genius level. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like, you know, unless, you know, some nurture things haven't happened exactly right. Like we all have this potential, but then it's like, you know, that tunnel vision can start to emerge and, you know, we, I guess, become less and less sure of ourselves to actually step outside of that. Right. It's like, if you step off the train now, you know, how hard is the fall going to be when I jump out, you know, 
um, to escape and a really, I guess, compelling and very recent um, example of that is actually so my wife, you know, she has a very different experience uh, than me growing up. She had gone through school, uh, went to college for a little bit, started working. Uh, and then, you know, when we got married about the time we got married, you know, she was really wanting to break out of what she's, what she's doing. You know, she wanted to, you know, she's very interested in like antiques and like reclaimed uh, goods and wanted to start her own thing, trying to, you know, get rid of this kind of everything is for obsolescence uh, mindset, you know, that we have. And, you know, but our conversations and discussions and where I would recognize that, you know, for a while there was this fear, you know, this kind of anxiety of jumping ship or just, you know, starting to maybe just add a little calendar block, you know, late at, late in the day where you could start to read about that, or you could start to, you know, there's some YouTube videos out there, other people that are doing these things, you know, what are the things that you will, you need start bite size, you know, and get those little bitty wins, you know, it's like yeah, all of a sudden, right. you know, start it and start it and keep going. And now, you know, she's actually still working, but in school, um, well, taking online, uh, just an online course, uh, to develop the certificates and things that she wants to do what she needs. And, um, but just going through that, that was, there's always, you know, it's just the little bitty steps that you can start to take to, you know, all of a sudden you're like, wow, look at this six months have passed. And now I have all this ready to go and all this resources built. Right. You don't have to have it all figured out on day one. Right. Cause wow. I think that's what like her experience, not it's, it's a, it's a mindset mindset shift to break out of the quote norm. What, what, you know, we're programmed to do, go get the job, sit at the office eight hours a day or more sometimes and wanting to do different things. Um, it's scary. It can feel like you're, you're, I don't know, like there's a, there's many things people could feel that. And I know I've experienced those feelings, but, but taking one small step, like you're saying, like, if you have an interest in something, take a class, explore, watch videos on it. Right. And over time, like I was telling you about before, um, we started recording that I'm moving, uh, over to Linux for my operating system. I didn't know anything. I knew a little bit about Linux, like in, in the, I've worked in it for a long time, but I'm not a developer. I don't, I'm not a coder. I mean, I can do minimal, but, um, I theoretically understood it, but I had no idea going in. And so I watched videos. I read chat forums. I, I did different things like that. And then I bought a cheap laptop, made my, you know, loaded mint on there for the first time. Okay. This was easy. Moved to a different laptop, right? Moved up in less than two months. Now I'm fully operational on a Linux machine. I still have a little, a few things that are not quite right, but this is my main operating system. I knew nothing about it two months ago to the degree that I thought I would be talking to you on a Linux machine. So these things that we, um, these roadblocks or these uh, barriers we put up are our own. They're our own stories <laughs> that we tell ourselves. You know, they're not, and, and that's what I go back to what I, that mantra that I repeat to myself is I know the truth. Yes. Because I know that those barriers aren't true. I know those aren't true. And when I tell myself, I know the truth, I feel this relaxation in my body. I feel this letting go of that anxious tension because I'm afraid I can't do something and continuing to remind myself that I know the truth helps me to do, take steps like this. Like I'm saying, like what I did with the computer, right. And, and next I'm going to do the phone, right. I'm going to have two phones side by side for a while and, and work that out. Right. So th there's so much to be said for taking those small steps. And I think we underestimate how often and how impactful those can be. Mm, gosh, I think you, 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 
the going back to the truth, I mean, you do feel like, you know, you feel that if what you're doing or is, is kind of like, you feel that, you know, maybe it's discomfort, but also there's the anxiousness, right. That's kind of the layer on top of that discomfort that if you're able to get that away, you know, if you're able to talk yourself through that or uh, just, you know, get the little bitty win for me, it's always been about like, you know, just this snowballing effect yeah. uh, of just things that compound the compound interest of like, just spending a little bit more time, you know, yeah. one more thing. Yeah. 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 One more thing. And, um, I, I, it's amazing to me. I was talking to one of my friends about this because she was struggling with some things and she was talking about how she was trying to just do one more thing for herself, right? One more, one more. And we were talking about how it's so easy to discredit the one more thing, but that's where the change happens is just as in the discomfort, the, the one more willing to do it one more time or try one more time or, you know, whatever it might be is a lot of times where that magic is that is so underestimated. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you do, and I feel like we always underestimate like the things uh, that are still with us from our failures, right? Not yeah. like, you know, not the failure itself, but the learnings, you know, all of this new perspective that we've gained and my goodness, like I think of all the times you know that I failed and hit the wall with things and, and been like, all right, you know, going to do another uh, project, going to do another app, you know, going to, and keep going. And, but each time, right. It's the, you're just compounding the interest of kind of the pursuit and the, you know, your knowledge base and perspective that you have. Yeah. So what would you say one of your biggest lessons from your failures has been? Oh gosh. Um, let's see, you know, right after architecture school, very, um, came out of the writing my thesis, kind of looking at the trajectory of the profession in terms of like, what is this potential to impact uh, the world? You know, it's increasingly less, right? It's mainly, you know, contractor developer kind of driven. And, you know, it's also, you know, very wealthy, you know, kind of patrons that are able to afford architecture. So it's kind of way over in this little thing. And so I said, you know what? Another thing that I've realized is that a lot of architects don't know how to build, you know, what they're designing. And so set out to start a design build company. And this was my, you know, very first like uh, business effort and, you know, went in headlong into it, had, you know, all right, we're going to need a website, need business cards, you know, need all these different things. And, you know, ended up um, just really fizzling out, flew a little too close to the sun with it, you know. Like what you hear so far? Take what you've learned and invest in yourself with the Create What You Speak Academy. Visit createwhatyouspeak.com to learn more. Now back to the show. You know, also knowing who you're going into business with and kind of knowing their, um, uh, let's say, um, experience as well. And like what, you know, the value and how an organization, a group of people, I would say if there's one thing, you know, that you really have to temper autodidactism with, <laughs> didactism, would be, um, I guess, the... Like, you know, you, you can all, you can put yourself on an island sometimes too. Right. And yeah. that in of itself can be kind of a, a reinforcing uh, feed, negative feedback loop where, you know, if you don't know the lingo, right. Um, of, of whatever this thing is, but you're necessarily good at the skill, you know, and you're good at, you know, doing these things, but you don't know the little keywords, you know, the buzzwords that people use in that right. space, you know, you can feel very, you know, there could be kind of that creeping kind of, it locks you down. Right. And so you have to, you have to open it up, but you also have to be, I think, real with like, 
where you are in the process. And I was not real with myself, you know, about like my understanding of like how to run a business and how to, you know, I could do the designing, I could do the building, but when it came to all of the other things, you know, as far as accounting and taxes and like, you know, all this stuff, like, uh, you know, super, you know, I'd realized, wow, I don't know anything about this. And that's why I failed. So, you know what, I'm going to learn a lot about that next. (laughs) Right. Well, and also that comes back to, you know, in learning, we don't have to learn everything. There's going to be some things that you don't like, or you don't want to learn, or it's not worth your time to learn. So those are the times where it's, you know, worth exploring. Should I just pay somebody to do this? Cause I've done mm-hmm. that too, over the years, like trying to do it all. And then I'm spending too much of my time and energy on these things I don't really want to do. So I don't have the energy or the time left for the things that I do want to do. So there's that understanding of that balance of this isn't worth me doing. I'm going to pay somebody to do this because I want to go over here and this is what lights me up. So this is what I want to continue to learn. If I would have, if I would have known that at that time, because my next, the next phase of my development and failures was, was learning that, you know, yeah. not to try to do it all, you know, okay, now I have a little bit of, know a little bit about this, know a little bit about that. You know, I can get all these things put together, you know, and pretty well do the things that like, you can't do it all yourself. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there's an, there's a great proverb that we repeat all the time, actually at thrive a lot, which is, um, an African proverb. It's, uh, if you, um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's like, you know, as I think that says, yeah, I agree. I agree. Cause it it is easy to just be, and also feel like you have to do it all because, well, if I'm going to take this on, you know, I should do it all, but that's just another lie. You know, we tell ourselves and then go back to, I know the truth, right? The truth is I don't have to do it all. I, I do better with others, right? I have more, there's more, there's more to go around, more energy to put on, on each part of it instead of trying to, you know, personally extend your energy to all these areas that it just isn't humanly possible and not even, again, not worth the time to do so. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely. But a big question or a big learning uh, that's you know, a common thread throughout everything has been like, I've been kind of going through this orienting, reorienting process to learn. Like I've always been interested in like value, right? It's like the things that we do, we create value for other people. And uh, a lot of our, let's say, institutional kind of legacy business models, you know, are about extraction more than creation when it comes to value. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, am I creating, you know, the value one, I think when we do things that are intrinsically valuable, I think we feel that kind of on a fundamental level, you know, that yeah. gives work meaning, right. When you, when you know that you're creating value for other people and um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I was doing architecture uh, projects. I was doing, you know, website designs, doing app designs, doing all these different things. And I kind of got really horizontal and just really spread thin, yeah. you know, and I had to re- really come to terms with myself. Like, okay. Where can I be the most effective? And, you know, and what, uh, and where do I feel that I can contribute the most value to others? And that helped me to really hone in on exactly like where I needed to go next. Yeah. What, what was most important as well. And so let's talk about your current project, uh, Thrive Lot. And, and as you said, you from an architect, you brought buildings to life. And again, the show Create What You Speak, right? I feel like you're, you're an excellent example of that with the way you've um, designed things with the, again, architecture, website, apps. And now you've moved into a project called Thrive Lot. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and your journey there? Absolutely. Uh, maybe we'll start with the, the journey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
taken back to UT uh, in undergrad, actually. I had uh, kind of rubbed shoulders with a guy, Justin West, uh, who's now the CEO of Thrivelot. And he, uh, we didn't, we kind of had some similar friend groups and similar social circles and we would see each other at different events and so on. Um, but it really wasn't until I guess, 2019, I was working on a project uh, called seats open at the time, which was activating third spaces, uh, like, you know, restaurants, coffee shops, places like that. Um, and opening up that space for coworking. And so about that time I realized that, you know, I had no idea about like the whole marketing side of things, you know, that was that learning for me and I right. uh, started to pick his brain because uh, he's just an incredible uh, digital marketing wizard and systems builder. But he started to kind of drip feed me this idea of Thrivela. And it had been with him for like four or five years at that point. Right. And he's just been like researching and talking to people and like gathering it's, it's been his, you know, that was his like thing that he was ready to bust out with at the right time. Right. And uh, started talking, started realizing that like we shared so many of the same interests and values when it came to, you know, allowing people to rethink their relationship with the land, first of all, you know, with the supply chain, you know, with how we are dependent, like, you know, if food were, were to go away or, you know, as I read the, just the other day that fertilizer prices have increased 10 times, yeah. which could bode, you know, not well at all for next year's harvest. And that's, right. you know, at the very least, you know, we might experience like huge price hikes, you know, but that kind of, uh, you know, all of a sudden, I feel like we felt this in the pandemic. You know, we go to the store, we don't see anything on the shelf that, you know, we expect to be there. And it's like that magic is all of a sudden like, oh, you know. That's not, not a good just... feeling. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, wait a minute, what? Like, no, this is uncomfortable. I'm not used to this. Right, and, you know, he, and this is something that I'd kind of experienced. And also I was always very interested in architecture school and sustainable design, right? Like, how do we create something that's one, meant to last or meant to really do what it's supposed to do? And, you know, we have all these vacancy issues. Why aren't we, you know, preserving more, you know, places, uh, you know, and also like, how are we impacting the land and how are we uh, really trying to measure and see that improve over time, right? How are we to, you know, decrease our footprint and for all these people, uh, permaculture, uh, ecological design um, that are, you know, out there trying to do this work, but really, uh, are great systems designers, great at developing, you know, perennial native pollinator food systems, uh, but are really hard to find and themselves don't like marketing, don't like selling things. And also like, you know, there's kind of this, maybe let's say missing design component of translating, like how to create an ecologically sustainable food forest on, you know, a 0.25 acre property. Right on somebody's lot in a subdivision and, you know, wherever. Right, exactly, which is a totally rethought, you know, oh, apologies. Okay. I do have dogs and one cat. <laughs> yeah, my dog sits by me. He's, he's uh, sometimes when somebody rings the doorbell, he gets a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So the, the realization, I guess, there was that we can, we can use some of the technological, let's say, innovations uh, like platforms, marketplaces, uh, to enable, uh, to give really a platform for these folks to do the really good work that they are doing, you know, because there are measurable impacts, measurable impacts on people, on food security, on water retention, on, you know, the ability to uh, reduce your own uh, footprint, you know, whether that be single-use plastics, um, all these different things that can feed into it that they're doing, but have no 
way of getting it out there. And, you know, so he, the first step was really to create a, uh, a marketplace where all the people, and believe it or not, we did not know at the time, like how many people out there were looking for this. We're looking to uh, not necessarily, I wouldn't call it homesteading um, because it's not quite there. It's more just like, you know, am I spending five, $6,000 a year on my landscaping maintenance, you know, is doing that, um, doing anything for me. That's like very basic, but you can't eat grass, right? You know, you can play in it and and all these different things. But, you know, when we think about our impact and we think about what we want to have available to us, um, yeah, it was, it was really amazing to get those tests going, uh, to start to see that interest. And then to really see that we were able to develop, I brought my brother in at the time. Uh, he was, you know, it was very much just testing and seeing, right. And learning, which I would, I would also say that so much of the way that we've developed the business model of ThriveLot has, has been around this notion of autodidactism because like we need to be self-learning such that, you know, I don't know, what uh, all these amazing folks doing all this work necessarily need. I, I do a little bit because I've done it myself in design build projects. And uh, I know the tools that are available to us and I know what I like, and I've built some of them before, but you know, we need to learn directly really fast and then be able to create the technology. And also to create like this incredible, like digital immersive experience for the people that want this, you know, so, you know, I'm sure a lot of people know how, how rife the contracting industry is with problems, you know, whether that be miscommunication, uh, missed deadlines, you know, a lack of good expectation setting. And, uh, you know, so much of our, so much of what we're set up to do is to make that go away. If we can figure out a way to, uh, automate a lot of the scheduling and booking, make sure that there's a clear process that everybody can follow that we're going to hit this milestone and then that one and then that one. And this is exactly what you're getting. And this is the what we're achieving here. And we're also actually going to stay right within your budget. And we're going to be really sensitive to that because we know, you know, we've set that from the beginning. Um, and it's... <laughs> so ThriveLot, is, is ThriveLot the the app then that connects people to help find other people in their area that will help them build more sustainable landscape, even edible landscape. So people can have almost, instead of having your landscaping full of bushes that are just there for, you know, to be there, Mm -hmm. this is more about creating actually plants that you can, it's like having a garden, but not necessarily the garden you would see overrun with all, you know, that a little out of order, right? This is actually like, um, like landscaping gardening. Would that be a way to describe it? Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, I think edible landscaping is, is a way we describe it sometimes. I think we are a technological platform that enables, uh, people that do the work to, to create these edible landscapes to connect with the people uh, that want them and, and provide kind of the seamless process like you know you go to uber you open up the app and you get a ride kind of you want a project we take in your like what are your, what is your vision what are your preferences how much food do you want uh and help to educate going through that process too about you know it's because you may want uh raised beds for example mm-hmm. uh, and you may want them over here but unfortunately you only get four hours of sunlight there right so we want to really uh, be very sensitive one to like the site you know translate that put that together with your vision and then on the other side of that, 
create a really good experience. Yeah. Um, and it be usable for, you know, cause I know we saw a lot of people in, you know, 2020 create gardens at home, raise gardens, beds, or I did myself actually. And, um, but then I also saw people, well, this won't grow or people just throwing some seeds down and expecting to have these like massive plants. Right. And, um, sometimes that works, but generally there's a lot of other things that need to go in. And if you don't understand soil or you don't understand, like you're saying sunlight and how much you don't want to put something that needs partial shade and full sunlight all day, right. There's all these different things that go into it. Um, but having the, I think having that ability to grow your own food is such a empowering feeling because it's not something, especially if you live in a, a, I live in the city, so I I don't have a lot of yard space, but, um, I do have some space. And even Mm -hmm. for me having a small raised garden and being able to grow tomatoes, grow peppers, right. I had herbs, all this stuff. And it was such a, it was a good feeling. I go outside, I pick it good. I can eat this, right. This is, this feels good to me. And that's something that is, we don't even hardly think about that anymore as an option, I think, because we're so used to going to the store and just buying it off the shelf. And there's such a difference in that quality and the taste in the, you know, when having something, you know, go to the farmer's market and get something, your, your experience of eating that versus something dry and, you know, discolored, you know, not even colored properly from the store is going to be very, very different. But I think it's something we almost don't even think about anymore. So I love this concept. And this is why I wanted to um, talk about it on the show, because it's another, it's another idea that is outside of the box. It ha- you know, this is not uh, something that, again, most people are land- think landscaping, they think just put in some bushes or whatever to, you know, get some aesthetic going on here. But having this as a choice, being able to take control back in this way, feel- really fix, you know, two things, right? Have the space for the growing your own food, but then also have it be aesthetically pleasing when you're looking at your house. Um, I, I love that, that ability to have that another area of control. And that's what I talk about a lot on the show, being able to change your perspective and have different ideas to, um, bring freedom back to your own life and, and having food in your yard is freedom to me. Oh my gosh. Hugely empowering, hugely empowering. You know, I think mm-hmm. the, there there's ongoing right now, a food sovereignty movement, you know, and it's yeah. about taking, you know, back the ability to have a lot of diversity in your diet. Uh, you know, it's like we've, as humans have narrowed down basically what we eat to about nine different crops. <laughs> and it's, if you look back, you know, thousands of years ago, it was like 6,000, you know, different nuts and fruits and berries and like grasses and all these different things. And it's like, wow. And I mean, just in the process of, of creating thrive lot, like all the things that I've learned, like one of the very first things I did, which I highly recommend, uh, as a book to read is guy's garden, um, by Toby Hemingway and guy's garden. Gaia's garden. And Gaia's it's, garden. it's, uh, it's about how to create, uh, self, these self-sustaining systems, uh, with that decrease in maintenance on small residential properties and how to deal with the presence of grass and, you know, all the other things that are potentially, you know, invasive or very hard to actually get out. Right. Um, right. they want to creep back in and it's, it's a mindset shift too in thinking of annuals versus perennials, right? So so most of the crops that we eat are annuals, which means, you know, every year we have to replant them growing season then we harvest them in the fall, then it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if you start to intermingle the perennials and there are plenty of perennials that are as nutrient rich uh, and otherwise, you know, as most of the annuals that we're consuming. And once they get going, 
they take care of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Jerusalem artichokes, great example. Very yeah. tasty. <laughs> yeah, and having different. I know for me, I have a. Um, I do have the garden, but I have a, a CSA community supported agriculture membership at the farmers market, and um, being able to have that variety of different things that I normally wouldn't have considered is, and I made something the other day with butternut squash that was so good. And that's not something I normally cook with, but thinking outside of the box like that, not only with the way you design, there's so many things here with freedom of, you know, think about food design options, something totally different, but then what that does to you health wise, we talk about all that, but also just what it does to open up different options that we have forgotten about, I think that well, we don't even consider or think that it maybe are even there, but there are, there are so many, we, again, I speak from only my own experience. I, I know in my experience, I felt, we talked about earlier about being in that box, being cornered, you know, and, um, it, it isn't always. So there are things out there and if there aren't oh, yeah. things develop it like you have, right. Create your own, whatever that is, learn, try, get out there, do something, you know, it's now's the time. Now is the time. <laughs> There's never been a better time. Exactly. The, the, what are the, what do they say? The best time is always now, you know, and, and the next best time is like, you know, now. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> right. Right. And I think that's important to, to remember. And I, um, I love this again, this concept is so many things. I know we could talk for a long time about this, um, but before we wrap up today, I want to just ask you just one other question. So, um, again, you've had such an interesting experience just over the years with your, the way you were brought up, your, um, your entrepreneurship, the way you've learned, uh, self-taught in a lot of things, creating your own lifestyle. You know, those are all things that are, uh, very desirable ways of being, I think. And what would you, what would you offer to the listeners as one piece of advice that they could do today to become um, autodidacts in their own life? Mm. Oh gosh, let's see. Well, simple equation for me and, and this hopefully may inspire others, which is whatever you're curious in, yeah. you know, find, find that curiosity. And then, you know, I mentioned this, the value kind of, you know, the thing, if it, does it create value for people that you care about? Does it, could it potentially create value? You know, that's, yeah. So much of the things I feel like, you know, that we, when we get curious, like, okay, we'll go down the rabbit hole. Um, but sometimes we'll come in on the other side and be really discouraged, really disillusioned yeah. with the process. And a lot of times that's just because you know, the thing that we were after necessarily, we weren't really aligned with or, you know, understanding the value that we were trying to create to get there. Because I think we are all creative machines, basically. Yeah. We just have forgotten at some point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And even though sometimes those journeys feel like failures, I found that I learn other things along the way that actually take me to the thing that I wanted, that I didn't know that I wanted when I started the journey. But if I hadn't started the journey, I never would have got there. So getting started oh sometimes is half the half of, you know, finding out whatever that it is that you're looking for. Yeah. It's a, I mean, my entire experience, I would say from going to undergrad, thinking that I was going to go into biology, going into political science, uh, really just loving that thinking that I was maybe going to be like a lawyer waking up and saying that is not what I do want to do at all. What I really love, I love to create things. I should go to architecture school yeah. going from that. I don't want to be an architect, you know, and then following this. And at a certain point, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what kind of right. track am I taking here? But at the same time, I wake up and I'm presented with an opportunity like Thrive Lot and realize looking back that all the things that you've done 
have been almost to prepare you and give you exactly. the main weird experiences and knowledge that you need to actually excel here. <laughs> right. To be led to the thing that you want to do that you didn't know you wanted to do when you got started. So Absolutely. I think that's amazing. It, it's a, it's I, again, I love your story. It's very inspiring. I think it's a great reminder for everyone, myself included to go after what you're interested in. Just try it, right? Get curious. Like you're saying, you never know where it's going to lead you. So oh my gosh. Um, Daniel, I want to thank you for being on the show this week. Can you tell the listeners more about how they can find out more about you and ThriveLot? Sure. Uh, ThriveLot is thrivelot.com and at ThriveLot, uh, T-H-R-I-V-E-L-O-T on all social media. So Facebook, uh, Instagram, and on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me. I'm not very active, mainly on Twitter is Daniel H. Hodge. Uh, at okay. Daniel H. Awesome. I'll link to all that in the show notes so the listeners can find it. So Awesome. Thank you. Daniel, thanks again for being here this week. I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation. This was awesome. Thanks. Thank you.